the Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to this impromptu and very special edition of the Six Pointer Podcast. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. Lee Usher. Lee, how are you? I'm Grimmis and uh, absolutely delighted to be down here with you in London having a couple of beers at uh, work and pleasure and uh, the reason I've got this big smile on my face is it's the day after Sunderland demolished Tranmere 5-0 5-0 mate get this, yeah. uh, this perfect result which I'm sure we'll come on to later but yes I'm very good at the minute we'll do mate yeah yeah it seems to be a, a bit of a theme with us isn't it I mean a few beers and a pod it seems to be a, a, the best way that we, uh, we pass the time isn't it in the end but um, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you touched on there, obviously, obviously uh, Sunderland's victory last night, we'll get to it, but I wanted to sort of backtrack a little bit before we get there, because um, obviously there's been wholesale changes at your club uh, this season, Jack Ross obviously been, um, been sacked, uh, was it last month, and uh, Bill Parkinson coming in, talk to me a bit about how that came about and, and your thinking behind why the change was made. Well... I, I do uh, my own podcast, as you know, with my mate Davy Hall, uh, Game of Two Scars. Just give it a plug, mate. Game, game, game of Two Scars. People can find it online and, uh, or you're, where, you, where you, you find your podcast. We, we, we've talked about uh, we've talked about Jack Ross pretty much every week, I suppose, and I've always been a, a supporter of Jack, and I've thought we should give him a chance. Last season, uh, he inherited a, a club really, which was in a mess. Uh, dire straight to it, proper yeah. dire straight. Yeah, we, we did. I mean, just to give uh, listeners an idea, when, when he first came in last pre-season, he didn't even have a full squad to train with. Uh, didn't know where we were with the finances. Uh, didn't know what sort of transfer budget he was going to uh, have to work with. He couldn't put a full uh, 22 out to, to train, so it wasn't a mess. He got us to uh, long story short. A playoff position at the end of last season, he goes to a cup final, Czech yeah. trade final, yeah. and for that we've got to thank him. Um, he stabilised the club when it needed stabilising, and he's just genuinely comes across like a really nice boy. He's one of these managers who you don't want to see sacked as a fan. But this uh, close season, and then the transfer window he had, the expectation was he really he was going to push on. He needed yeah. to push he on. He needs to make the next step. Yeah. And we need promotion from this league this season. No disrespect to anyone else in League One, but Sunderland, the crowds that we're getting, the size of the club, the expectation, the primary goal is promotion. Yeah. And it started off the season in a very similar vein as how last season ended. Too many draws, 1-1 draws. The number of 1-1 draws we've had as a team is unbelievable. I think it's a record. Um, but as well, even when we're winning, Luke, the, the playing style wasn't great. The performances weren't great. We've got our record signing in League One, Will Grigg, yep. which is not firing. Yep. Something wasn't working for him. Um, whether that was just him, didn't want to be here, or Jack Russell's manager not being able to get the best out of him, it just wasn't working. So, last couple of weeks, I've gone from avid support of Jack Ross, keep him in position. He'd uh, come good to even me, so I think it's probably time for him to go now. So, so I mean, overarchingly, what, what would you put the downfall down to? Would it because he's quite a young manager, isn't it? Would you would you put it down to inexperience? I mean, we, we were talking pre-pod around perhaps him being swayed a little bit by certain sections of, of, of the Sunderland support. Um, would it be experience which led to his downfall, or, or would it be other factors involved as well? 
I think so, yeah. Um, I genuinely do think Jack Ross will prove to be a very good manager uh, at, at some club. I think Sunderland was probably the right club at the wrong time for yeah. Jack Ross. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a young young guy. He's younger than me, unbelievably. And I'm younger. There's not many younger than you, mate. <laughs> um, There's one so, sitting opposite you. <laughs> so he's 45, 45 years old and yeah, the, He's loved by the, uh, the fans of his previous club, you know. They've the been down and watched uh, Sunderland games really? because That's of the, uh, okay. the respect they've got for Jack Ross. Now, I think when he's come to Sunderland, he's then sort of standing in front of 30,000 yeah. and the expectation of that fan base probably does affect your decision making. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, things that you, you maybe won't willing to just sort of stick with tactically. Uh, substitutions, for instance, you might be forced into doing them sooner than you'd want to. And we were, t- we were talking before, so comparing it with Sam Ardice, he'd be like, bollocks of fans, what they think, I know what's right, I'm going to I've got my method, so I'm going to stick to him, yeah. And, and maybe on reflection, Jack Ross might think himself, I could have done things a little bit differently. Um, but, I think, yeah, if it answered your question, it was probably just a bit of an experience at time. And, I'm a little see, but maybe he's a bit negativity as well in, in his playing style. Okay. When what? When we're too, too defensive, you mean? Too, by that? Yeah, too pragmatic in, in his approach. So we went, I don't know how many games we, we went, uh, one the look, say, took the lead, and we, we sat back as a team and right. tried to defend that and see it out. Last night, different kettle of fish all together. It was like hammer and tong, pretty much from start to finish and that's what you want and that's what we were crying out for as fans that team the squad you've got the players to get out of that division and I just don't think he was getting the best out but before we move on to, to, to Phil Parkinson and, 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 and the, um, the new appointment of him talking of the squad where would you highlight your strengths I mean obviously we've, met, we've mentioned Will Brigg who when on form is, is probably the best striker in the league I think it's probably fair to say where else do you think that you're really strong in the team and, and hopefully can improve as, 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 as the, or, or show their quality these, these players can step and show their quality as, as the season progresses to be honest I think when, when everyone's on the game I think we're, we're strong throughout maybe the weakest for, for me what I've seen over the last few months the weakest area is the full back position and this splits divide, uh, fans and divides fans. Uh, we've got a young lad, Luke O'Nine, who Jack Ross played at right back pretty right. much all of last season. Um, he's tried him out in sort of attacking midfielder position this season. Um, he's one of these players you still don't know where his best position is, but I, I'm not sure it's right back. Left back, we've got rid of two left backs. In the, uh, I will say, what one of them went, uh, who's a gentleman went back to UFC Copenhagen? Oviedo. Um, Oviedo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we lost two left backs and we didn't really strengthen that. And he's tried, we've had to put sort of square pegs in round holes. Yeah. We've got a young lad, Denver Hume, who is a traditional left back, but it's a lot to ask for him to maintain that position himself throughout the season. Now we had an absolute cracking game last night, so hopefully that's uh, that's uh, more that, that, that a form type thing. He, he maintains that form. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're asking where where we weak, I would say it's the full-back position because we haven't really got cover, good quality cover, centre midfield, and uh, I would say we've got three or four really good players to pick from there. League One standard. Yeah. You've got McGeady, who for me I would say he's probably the best player in the league um, on the left, and we've got a couple of options on the right. Last night, Duncan Watmore, he's had some horrific uh, luck with injuries. Yeah, yeah. He was another one, uh, many would say, was one of the match last night. Pace, just direct. So, midfield's a strength. Up front, I honestly don't know. 
if Will Grigg, like you say, if he's on form, we could say Cup Funks a strength for us because we've yeah. got McMulty, and then we've got the other option of a big guy, strong, powerful forward, and Charlie White, who's out for the next few weeks through injury. But we've also got a young lad, Kim Yoko, who hasn't had as much game time. Phil Parkinson, I think it's the first time this season he put him in the squad last night. Okay. got 10 minutes at the end. For me, he's another one who excites, and I hope he gets more game time over the course of the season. Because um, he's just got, he's one of these, he's got pace, and he's direct, and he's got that sort of exuberance youth where he's going to try something a bit different. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, hey, how positive do I sound? How, what, how it sounds good, mate. The back of a 5 0 win, or you've got to be. Well, it's, 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 it's a lovely, lovely time to have you, have you on the pod, to be fair, isn't it? I love, bit, I love a bit of positivity and, and to hear that from you, but. This, this, this could go back to the appointment of, of, of Phil Parkinson because you mentioned people that perhaps some sections of Sunderland fans were a little underwhelmed with the appointment, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, I think so. And do you know what I think the reason for that is when we first start looking for a manager, when Jack Ross got sacked pretty much the next day, all the speculation yeah. starts. Well, the rumour mill starts the, straight yeah, away, doesn't exactly. it? Yeah, yeah. And the names that are mentioned are Sam Allardyce, Roy Keane, Kevin Phillips, so basically anyone that's got a previous connection with the club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, realistically, I could never see Allardyce or Keane coming to League One. Um, well, they've both got cushy jobs with Sky now, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. So they're, they're being paid handsomely to do that, haven't they? Keane is loved by uh, a lot of Sunderland fans because he took us out of the championship. Yeah, of course, yeah. Which, uh, the first attempt. And, He's, he's written his second autobiography, uh, which he, about a third of that is dedicated to somebody's time. Is it really? He loves the place, okay. yeah. For someone like Keith to talk so passionately about the club, he's, for me, he's, uh, he's always welcome back. But yeah. I could never see it happening, you know, with us being in League One. Kevin Phillips, cracking job at Leicester with uh, Nigel Pearson. And I don't think Phillips and Pearson get the credit for that uh, amazing achievement of Leicester winning the league. But just before Ranieri came in, they, they sort of reshaped that squad. And I know Pearson's a bit of a more my character, like mm. some people do, some people don't. But Stry- he's a strange character, that's for sure. Yeah. Phillips is a manager's unproven, though. Yeah, of course, yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's only done a sort of like a coaching, attacking coaching role, hasn't yeah. he? I don't, he hasn't been assistant manager, has he? No, so, no, he's, so he's only been on the coaching yeah, staff, yeah. so it'll be a big ask for him to make that step up. I think so. So, so yeah, so the point I'm making is underwhelming when you talk about those names and then Phil Parkinson's announced. But for me, looking at Phil Parkinson's record, he's got experience of taking clubs in his division. He's uh, had a massive achievement with Bradford in that cup run they had, yep. two candidate scouts and one of them. So for me, good appointment, good solid appointment. Yeah, yeah, and definitely obviously, you know, being at a club like Charlton, which, which you know, don't, well, kind of pains me to say, are oh, oh, a big club, you know, and probably, you know, deservedly are back where they, where they belong now, you know, he, he was there for a while, wasn't he, and had it not gone um, terribly wrong at, at Bolton, I'm, I'm sure he would have, would, have, would have done, you know, really well there, so for me, personally, I think it's a really good appointment, but this, this, this go on to, obviously, his first game was, was at the weekend, um, what were your expectations going into it, because obviously it was a one-nil defeat? Yeah, we, we, I mean, it was a way, it was a tough game to um, Wigan, who were second, no, second in the league, still are second in the league. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a tough first game, but you could see the signs even in defeat that he already had a bit of an impact. He'd had the, I think he took a couple of training sessions before, and his ethos is pretty direct, unapologetically direct, his style, his playing style, but he demands a work ethic. From the club, uh, 
uh, the play sorry. And whether that's being in possession or not being in possession and pressing for the ball, uh, he demands that as a bare minimum. And I think you saw that uh, in, the, in the first game. So, despite the result, there was positive attacks yeah, yeah. from, from the see. workload and, and, and yeah. the work rate of these players. You could see, you could see, yeah. Um, now, he made, I think it was four changes to the uh, starting lineup in that first game. The bravest decision was changing our keeper. So, John McLaughlin was our player of the season last season with right. and he dropped him at the weekend and he brought in Lee Birch who he signed from Coventry uh, in the transfer window now that was seen as him maybe putting his stamp on the club yeah. and he kept with uh, Lee Birch last night and he pulled off an absolute uh, wonder save to keep our first clean sheet which was great so moving on to that to first home game last night yeah. uh, against Tranmere 5-0 no, um, win, brilliant, we wanted the three points as the main thing, um, we wanted to keep a clean sheet and we wanted a great performance and every player on that pitch last night delivered so it was, uh, it was, a, it was a result in a performance that the fans have been crying out for and something like that, you know, as a new manager coming in can sometimes strangely can just set the tone for the, the rest of the well, well it's, it's, it can can it and, all, and also there's there's the sort of the old adage that players obviously want to prove themselves to the new manager and, and those players that were perhaps fringe players would think oh hang on I've got a chance here now it's a clean slate for me to come in and, and show what I can do and perhaps push my way into the team so you always talk you always hear this talk about the, the new manager bounce as it were um, I mean, obviously, you didn't get it immediately, but got it last night, which is when it mattered with an emphatic win, and that's, that's hopefully uh, sets the tone for the, for the rest of the season now. I mean, realistically, where would you put um, Sunderland's chances? Do you think playoffs, or, or would you have a chance of sneaking into automatic? I know it's difficult because we're in October now, but. After know. last night, Champions League. <laughs> 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 no, Loving the positive, mate. <laughs> Loving it. I think. Um, Look at the start of the season. Nothing less than the, first, the top two spot would have been acceptable. The way we started under Jack Ross in the first few games, you're thinking, Jesus, it's looking like we'd be hopeful to get a third spot. Um, now, I mean, one game's too soon, but yeah, of course. that that first um, that, that that first two positions is. Is, is realistic, it's looking realistic again. Now our next two games um, against Shrewsbury, and who's the one we've got a cup game after that in the next league, but they're not the, the top four or five teams that we're playing. So it's a good opportunity to build some momentum. We need to start doing it against the, the top clubs in this team. That'll be a, that'll be a good test like the yeah. switches and then uh, the return leg against Wickham. So we need to start taking points from those types of teams in Peterborough. That'll be the, the true test. But got to bask in the glory last night two what you would I don't want to say easy I'm going to jinx myself here but two games that are winnable uh, you see is winnable get the, get nine points for these three games and then hey, we're back in the game yeah definitely like you say I mean the big test comes with the likes of which are pretty much flying at the moment aren't they and, and, and taking the league by storm aren't they so it's uh, it's quite impressive I think um, everyone was well I mean, from an outsider's point of view, I mean, I know they had a shocking season last season, but I mean, as, as, a, as a club, they're a, they're a huge club. When we talk about Sundowns, you know, we talk about Blackburns, you know, and, and other clubs that have got, obviously gone down to League One. 
in recent years, Sheffield Wednesday's huge clubs at that level now. Um, you know, perhaps it's my sort of historical bias when I'm sort of growing up in the 90s watching these footballers, football and, and then watching these big clubs at the Premier League level, you know, but I still consider them, when you look at the infrastructure, I mean, you know, you've got to look at Sunderland to look at the academy, the stadium, you know, everything to see the infrastructure. It's, it's built for the Premier League. And for me, as an outsider, you know, see them in League One is, 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 is crazy but um, you know so more, more power to you and I hope, hope that you guys can, can, can push on and, and, and get, get back to the level you deserve to be there to get. Well, thank you very much and uh, I appreciate that and, and, and I mean I'm interested in asking you a little bit about uh, your team and mm. just as a, as, a, as a lead into that. Um... Lovely segue there mate. You've done this before. <laughs> Well, I was thinking back to when we last played good football and, and exciting football, and unbelievably, it was probably under Sam Allardyce, and right. uh, before that, it was uh, Gus Poirier, right. and the miracle season um, a few years back, when we were in the relegation zone and no one gave us a chance of escaping, and Gus Poirier, uh, which is famous now, he said, we need a miracle to get out of this. And the miracle was Conor Wickham. Conor Wickham doing he, the mask. He, I mean, like, we spoke before about that, that, yeah, that goal yeah. against Man City, which, which I remember very vividly. Well, I mean, he did it in a few games, and mm. I remember sort of uh, that, 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 that run of games where he just went, and sometimes you need that, don't you? Yeah. But what a, what a the player he was in, in, in that running. Um, strong, fast, brave. Right player. And he's been sort of beset by injuries, but obviously he's with Crystal Palace now. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll come on to you. I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on Connor and uh, what he's done. I know he hasn't had much game time since he's been there, but uh, how's it going at Crystal Palace? Blind him, mate. You know, sixth six in the league. We were fourth not, not only, only a week ago. Um, you know, fairy tale stuff. I think a lot of people under, underestimated Roy and, and, and the job that he could have done. And I mean, you've only got to look at what he's done with the resources. That I think over the last season or 18 months, our net spend has been minus £30 million. And to have us sitting in sixth position at the moment, you know, I know we're in October, you know, I still need to always need to calibrate back to that. We are in October and I'm, I'm trying not to get too carried away. But I think Roy is just, he's, he's just one of those managers that guarantees you Premier League football. He know, you know, he, the way he sets up, he builds from the back. He's very pragmatic. He knows um, how to see out games. We mentioned before about, about, about sort of game management. And Jack Ross, he couldn't quite get it right, but Roy's got it down to a T, and, and you expect nothing less from a bloke who's been managing for 40 odd years. Um, 72 years of old, years, years of age, and still going, going strong. And Palace have been brilliant. I mean, is it good to watch the football? I, I think, personally, I think it's the best football I, I, I've ever seen at Crystal really? Palace. I really do. I mean, they call it Roy Ball <laughs> as, as Celeste, and, and you know, sometimes when, when we get that sort of build from the back and we string the passes together and. and Literally, you, you, you could think you were watching Barcelona or Real Madrid it, 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 at, at times, you know, when you've got players building from the back. I mean, I mean, you look at the back line, especially, I mean, Vicente, oh, I'm sure I should look, Vicente Guaita, who is uh, a Spanish goalkeeper, arguably the best Spanish goalkeeper in the league at the moment, ahead of David Gea, who's, who's obviously not had a, a great time this season. Um, the uh, the signing of Gary Cahill at centre-back was, was inspired. He is... A leader of men. I mean, I, I said to my brother, we, 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 obviously we, we played Man City on uh, on Saturday and lost 2-0. And there's no shame in that whatsoever because Man City were unbelievable. And still, I said last season and this season, the best team I've ever seen at Centre's Park. The way they play, the skill, the work rate off the ball especially, is unbelievable. 
But Gary Cahill, you watch him, I spent about a good 10, 15 minutes just watching him, player watching him. And he's, he doesn't stop talking. Always talking. And he's won everything as a player, you know. He's won every 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 cup there is to win, apart from barring a, a, a World Cup, you know. He's won the, champ- he's won the um, Premier League Championship, he's won the EFL Cup, the, the FA Cup, Europa League, Champions League, he's won everything. And just having that sort of figurehead, um, I think... Helps really helps, especially when we've got a captain like Luka Milivojevic, who's probably not been in his best form this this season. I'd say, um, and towards the end of last season as well, wasn't in great form. I mean, you stick him in sort of 12, 12 yards from the from the uh, the goal line, he's great great on the penalty spot. But apart from that, I think he lacks a bit of guile and he lacks a bit of level headedness some to, to, to some extent. I think I've got a caveat by saying that his last performance was his first back from uh, suspension and he got booked after 12 minutes. So when you're playing against Man City and you get booked after 12 minutes, it's very difficult to have that sort of impact in the game that you want to have. So I think it's, it's fair to say that. But Gary Cahill, I think, is almost playing that captain's role without being the captain. Um, I mean, midfield, we've got real quality. You say Luke Milivojevic, Czech Kute, who's, who's been a revolution for me, a revelation for me. I think he's a... He's a been absolute still from West Ham, ten million pounds. Does he play like CDL? No, but he, personally, I think he's he's better pushing forward because he's one of the few players that we've got who can really carry the ball forward. And we haven't had a player like that since we've had Ruben Loftus Cheek on on loan, um, who can get the ball from deep and really drive it forward, and he can he can carry the ball. But the main work that he does, like you say, is off is off the ball. You know, he's a he's a big lad. He's a lump. He's sort of disrupt playing it. It's sort of um, make a few people on the opposition team very unhappy. Um, Wilfred Zaha, obviously there was all the nonsense at the start of the season around the rumours around him and around him wanting to have his, his move and him feeling he should have, should have moved. Obviously Palace felt that um, they didn't receive a bid worthy of, of, of their valuation. Do you know what his problems looking back on that position? Um, well, the Everton one. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I still, I, I still maintain I think he'd go to Chelsea. It makes sense for me. They're a London-based club. They've got the money. Um, but he's starting to find his form again now. How old is he now? How old is he? Uh, 26 now. So that, that's another factor you've got to consider. If, if we're asking sort of upwards of 70, 80 million pounds for a player, it's got to be a certain type of, type of club that's going to say, well, we're not ever going to recoup that, are we? Because if you're buying a 26-year-old, you're probably going to sign him on a four-year, four-year contract. His sell-on value is going to be markedly less than, than, than 70, 80 million pounds, isn't it? So, um, is he that good? Do you see him all the time. When he's not, when he's not distracted. So, start of the season, I thought he was very poor. The last three, four games has really started to show his quality again. On his day, I, I, I struggle to see a better player than him in the Premier League. The, the really is. He, I, I, I put him. I'm, I mean, I may be biased, but I put him up there with the Sterlings and. and, and uh, you know the flair, the real flair players of the Premier League on his day. I think what potentially has limited Wolves' chances or limited Wolves' attraction for the big clubs is his temperament. He tends to get very wound up, very frustrated. Now that may be because he is a very good player playing in an average team. And had he had, if you lift him and put him in a Man City, you know he's not going to have to do so much tracking back. He's going to get better balls delivered to him. He's going to be given more opportunity to go forward. This sort of thing. So that may may well be part of the case. But yeah, I I, I do think he really is that good. And, and you probably should not miss your right back. No, Aaron Wan-Bissaka's gone. And I, I mean, 
he was unbelievable last season. Um, but Joel Ward, who's been a stalwart for us and his Palace's longest-serving player now, um, joined us in 2013 or I think it's 2012. No, 2013 it was. Sorry, um, and he's, he's, he's yeah, he's Palace's longest-serving player. And he's really stepped in. And the thing I like about no, no, he's always well at Portsmouth when he was a younger player. He played uh, defensive midfield. Actually, Tony Poo has played defensive midfield at some point as well. He's played left back, but mostly he's been right back. Um, but the one thing I think that he's got over someone like Aaron Wambasaka is that he can deliver a real quality ball, whereas something that I thought Aaron Wambasaka really lacked is we're getting into the final third and making that delivery. So someone like Joel Ward has really been a revelation this season. And up front, you've got Jordan Ayew, who's looked a completely different player from the sort of player we've had on loan last season. I was very critical of Jordan Ayew last season. I didn't think he worked hard enough. I thought his off-the-ball work was very poor. But it seems to be almost the opposite of what you expect. You expect a player, when they come on loan, to try really hard to get a contract. It seems to be that when he was on loan, he wasn't trying that hard, but now he's got his contract, yeah. he's, he's trying really hard. So it's, it's, it's a strange situation. But well, I, I think going back to your, your, your manager there, uh, Ayu is one of those players, he's obviously got the ability. Um, uh, it takes, sometimes it takes a manager to, to get that ability. Potentially, yeah, yeah. So it might be, uh, might be the Roy effect, Roy Ball. Yeah, Roy, but might, might be Roy, but I mean, if you uh, listen to the podcast, or also listen to the Guardian football podcast, there's... Uh, a gentleman on there, I can't, I, I can't recall his name at the moment, but he John says, Wilson. it might be, he says that Jordan Ayew is the most frustrating player in football because he's got so much ability but such a little, but so little football in brain. I think that's quite harsh to be fair, but I, I, I think that, I mean... That sounds like a Jonathan Wilson. I think, I, think it, I think it might be Jonathan Wilson, but I think... I mean, when we always come to talk about strikers, obviously we mentioned Conor Wickham, who's been injury-prone. When he gets his run in the team, I think he will be great. But the problem is with him is that he keeps breaking down. But is he still injured now? Yes, yeah, unfortunately he is, yeah. But um, when you talk about strikers and Crystal Palace, you always talk about Christian Benteke. And uh, a player who's just signed a new contract, because he was out of contract. He would have been out of contract at the end of this summer. I think Palace have put him on another two-year deal to protect their investment, because we paid £27, £30 million for him. Yeah, yeah. Could risk losing him free to China or Turkey. There's rumours for Turkey in, in, in the summer. Um, personally, I think he's a very good player, but we just don't play to his strengths. He, he's the sort of player that thrives on balls in the air with his head. I mean, he, I don't know if you saw the highlights from the weekend, but he came off the came off the bench against Man City. His first touch of the ball was a uh, a world class save from Edison, where he, he was destined for the net. Um, Palace don't play without and out wingers that get the ball into the box anymore. You know, it's very much on the floor. So that, that does that does have an impact. Just just briefly going back to Phil Parkins, and he talked about that with Charlie White, and uh, because he's a target man. Yeah, when, when I say like the way, I, I like how Phil Parkinson's coming first in his first couple interviews, he talks about that. He, he had the stats on Charlie White scores and how the vast majority come from crosses into the box, mm. and we don't. That's how his previous club. And as a team, we haven't been putting crosses into the box. But straight away, you're right, yeah. We let that Christian Benteke. He's obviously got talent. I mean, he was some player at, uh, he was at Liverpool before. He was at Villa, Villa, and then obviously yeah, got so his big Villa. money moved to Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. And then we, we got to Liverpool, yeah. So it's, it might be uh, frustrating for the player when you, you play for a style that doesn't suit yourself. But 30 million right off sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? I mean, he's, he must still be under 30, is he? 28, 29? I think he's 29, 30, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was a, an article in the, in the Athletic by uh, a local oh, journalist. Cool. Called, by the way, the Athletic, you subscribed. I've, I've done bits. My mates are... I've, I've not subscribed myself, but my mates have sent me bits and pieces. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. And they, yeah. and they really have hoovered up a lot of the, the, the real talent that they journalists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one that Crystal Palace, um, Dominic Fyfield, who used to write for The Guardian. He's a Palace fan. Yeah. He did a lot of work for Chelsea in the past, but he's a Palace fan. And... Um, He's just joined and he did a piece last week around Christian Beteke and apparently he was interviewed out in France, or sorry, in Belgium. And uh, he said that it's difficult for him now because, like I just said, Palace don't play the way he used to. Like, like when he joined, he had Zahar and Townsend on the wing yeah. and Alice in charge and they were, they were putting balls into the box and, you know, he was feeding off the headers and this sort of thing. Roy's come in and he's played a bit more through the back and he's played up the pitch and tried to make it a bit more progressive play and he's, he says in the, in the article you know that he went to the coach and said coach it's very difficult for me when you play this way for me to produce or, or play to my strengths yeah. which, which I think is a fair yeah. point but on the other hand on the balance of that I think if you cost 27 or 30 million pounds yes I know there's a price tag and, and, and football money is crazy it's not, it's, not price tag, yeah. it's not his price tag but you need to be adaptable and you need to play in the Premier League and to be a Premier League footballer you need to have the skill both at your feet and on the head so then devil's advocate to that one um, I would say if, if, you're buying a, if you're buying a footballer and you, you've mentioned the athletic there and the research and the analysis that they do for, for their very good, isn't it? Very impressive. Very it's impressive. Like the podcast friends, that's where I get most of my information from. <laughs> just regurgitate it. Just, just read it and then pass it on to your own. That's exactly what I just did. Yeah. <laughs> Class. Um, but but as, as a player, you, you, as a manager, sorry, you, you would expect your manager to, to do that analysis. Now, if he's paying 30 million. For a if he's paying thirty million pounds for a player, and he knows that he's only suitable for one position, mm. he's got to accept that player is going to play the wrong position, one player stand. Is it the player's fault? I don't know. So yeah, you, you would expect. I would say as a fan, thirty million quid, which back that was a few years ago, by the way, it was a lot of money then. Yeah, you are expecting more. But I would put the blame on the on the managers or the coaches. Yeah, but potentially. I mean, but I mean, personally, I think the future is bright, bright for Palace. I mean, in terms of, I've always been a big fan of Alexander Serlot, who is a player, obviously, that, that linked to my other my other passion in, in the Danish league. He, he did really well at FC Midtjylland, and we bought him for, for sort of ten million pounds, rose into thirteen, which was a lot for a player that only played nineteen games, scored twelve goals, or it was. Um, but I think, you know, that's the way that Palace need to, a club like Palace need to um, conduct their business in, in a, trying to spot talent, develop them. It's all very well going out and spending £10 million on Andrew Townsend and uh, uh, James Tompkins and things like that, but it's not sustainable for a club like Crystal Palace. You need to be able to bring through young players, develop them, potentially sell them on for, for, for a profit, but also... Have, have the opportunity where you're developing these players for, for yourself as well and he's been someone that's almost been written off by Crystal Palace fans he's been on loans uh, he went to KA Genk last season did really well I think he scored six goals in about ten games he's now at um, Transensport in Turkey playing up front with uh, Raheem Sturridge um, um, Daniel Sturridge 
Oh, it's Martin Darren Sarah's and he's doing really well out there. I'm surprised no English people's got into Daniel Sturridge. I think it was know, probably the wages to be honest. The wages and his injury going on all but it's uh, still getting him on a free. It's quality, isn't it? When he's on the pitch he's quality. So, certainly I mean, certainly someone I would have loved to see in a Crystal Palace yeah. yeah, I mean I mean he's got that instinct, isn't it? I mean you yeah. think you think about goal scorers throughout the years, I mean you always look at those ones that have got that natural instinct and, and certainly Sturridge had that that almost ability to have the fox in the box mentality but also then hit one from from outside outside the box and score a worldie so yeah a, a truly world-class player that has been blighted by injuries and and someone that can stay fit um could be a true a true asset i've, I've got to say mind, uh, i was positive but you're even more positive than i am <laughs> so, so realistically what's uh, what's your expectations now well for the season where do you think you'll finish i am positive but as a Palace fan, I think it's been ingrained in me to be pessimistic, um, <laughs> g- given how many administration and relegations I've seen. I would snap your arm off right now for 17th, um, because my main point is get to 40 points and then let's see. I think Roy's very good at that. They keep people grounded, they take us to 40 points and then we'll see. And that's exactly what he did with Fulham, you know, that, that, that year that, I mean, you look at, you look at, he took Fulham to Europa League final. Yeah, yeah. Um, beating Juventus, teams like Juventus on the way, with people like Zoltan Gira, Bobby Zamora, you know, um, Brian McBride, David Bettner, people like that in, 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 the, in the squad. So he's clearly a manager which, which knows how to manage, how to motivate people. Um, for me, I'm not getting carried away. Uh, I would take realistically probably 12th, 11th position, but as we all know, you put a run of games together, a few wins. Anyone can break into that uh, top half, so who knows? We shall see. Interesting, eh? You're enjoying the football, and uh, as fans, that's what we want, don't we? Just want to be, uh, want to have a little bit of hope. And yeah. More often than not, it gets shot down in flames by the end of the season. But uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying the football. Again. We're all along sure for the, all, yeah, we're all along for the ride, aren't we? That's yeah. that's the main thing. As long as you're able to turn up to the games and enjoy what what you what you're, what you're seeing, and there's not too much negativity around. Which I think is difficult, I think, in today's age, you know, with social media and everything being analysed to the nth degree and, and seeing it from a million different angles. I mean, even at League One level now, I mean, you can you can see goals and, and chances and saves and potential red cards. I know we haven't got VAR in League One yet, but for me, from my point of view, it's only another sort of two or three years till it's yeah. there. Um, I think we should touch on VAR because that... Uh, yeah, go for it, mate, yeah. <laughs> What's your thoughts on this? Obviously, uh, someone supporting the Premier League club, yeah. you see this uh, in action week in, week out. There was a, a couple of um, dodgy uh, VAR decisions over the weekend. Is it, is it improving the game, do you think? So, I mean, I can only speak to my experience of it, to be honest with you. Um, and from what I've experienced, I mean, I think we've only had a couple of decisions for Palace. I mean, away at West Ham, I wasn't at the game, I was watching it on Sky. And I think, I mean, I think we talked about this on the last podcast as well. But, sorry, the last podcast that we were together. Um, but I think VAR is just another notch in the belt of gearing football more towards the armchair fan. Because when you're in the stadium, so I, I put this early in the season, I think it might have been the Everton game, it might have been the first time game of the season. Play was going on, all of a sudden, ball went out. Uh, nobody knew what, what was going on. All of a sudden, the big screen it says VAR check, red card. I'm looking around. It wasn't going. I'm thinking, 
what for? What, why, why is it? Nobody's got any information. Nobody knows. But if you're watching at home on Sky, the commentator's telling you, oh, they're checking for Luca Milivojevic's tackle on Moses Keane or whatever this and that. But if you're in the stadium, you haven't got a clue. And I mean, that's even been sort of exacerbated by the, by, by the fact that, was it Tottenham at the weekend? Yeah. The goal was given after VAR. And even in the stands, in, in, in the stadium, on the big screen, it said, no goal. So I can't even ima- start to imagine the sort of the, the, the confusion or or, or, or the, the you know the, the frustration that those sort of fans must be going through because I don't, I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's ripping the soul out of the game because people can't celebrate, but I think it may take an edge off edge off it to an extent. I mean, you've only got to look at Palace's. Uh, goal against West Ham that was, give, that was sort of given and, and then celebrated twice so it was almost like Palace scored two two goals in the last minute and you know they, they celebrated the VAR decision as another goal which was obviously brilliant but for me football's about spontaneity and pa- passion and, and it's possibly taken it away I mean what, what's your viewpoint from, from, from what you've seen so far well I've started to watch a bit more rugby lately and um, obviously they've got this type of technology. We won't go into that in this podcast, <laughs> mate. I'm not a rugby fan, but... But it works. I'm, I'm not really just me. The eldest started playing rugby and uh, I've started to take a bit of an interest because I have to. And uh, it works. The way they use it, it works well. And it's, I think, technically a much more complicated game than football. But do you, so, think, do you think that's because it's been ingrained for a number of years in the sport that it's it developed? Well, I, I think that the decisions that they have to make uh, are more complex than the decisions that you have to get right. How so? So, in football, I think it's not so much the technology, it's how it's been deployed and how it's been used. I don't, do you know what, since um, Sunderland's dropped out of the Premier League, I don't watch much of the day as much. And I, okay. don't, I don't watch as many Premier League games. So I do watch the other one. I'm not as close to it as, as what you are, which is why I'm interested. What I have seen, there's part of this thing that brings a, a different excitement to it. You've got this anticipation. I know, like you've just you've just used the example there, where you you're almost celebrating a goal twice. Yeah. But the anticipation, waiting for the VR decision, is a new one because I am in most of these games. Uh, it, it, it's quite exciting. Then. What I do love about football, when you go to the match and then after the match you go and sit in the pub with your mates and you talk about how the referees are fought for this decision or we should have done this. That again is part of the attraction. It's yeah. not just the game, it's the errors that's made in the game and the, that, that's going to be removed eventually. We'll all be like just cut and dry when, when they get the, the technology right. So I'm going to sit on the fence, I'm afraid, have that long-winded... Uh, I don't know whether it's good for the game or not, but what I've seen so far, I can see why they're bringing it in, especially the big teams, the big clubs. Yeah. No, fair enough. I think, to be fair, on balance, I think that the VAR has been used sparingly in the Premier League to the extent that people are still saying, you know, oh, that should have been a penalty, that shouldn't have been a penalty. So that you still got that debate, but then that brings in another question as well wasn't VAR supposed to remove that debate you know wasn't VAR supposed to overturn and, and be a bit more aggressive yeah. I, I guess um, and I guess we're seeing it a little bit more passive and, and we, we, we're yet to see in the Premier League 
a referee run over and actually look at the screen which is in between yeah. the dugouts, which, which, which is strange, isn't it? Pretty much every, it did. every decision the referee is I, I think maybe there was some criticism they received from that. Maybe that, that, well, that itself um, slowed the game down. The fact that one, referee's got to listen in his ear to you know, what they're saying. Two, then he's got to go over and look at it and then he's got to make the decision. Maybe removing one of those steps they feel is, is a, positive, a positive move forward because it doesn't delay the game so much, which is everyone's so worried about. I don't know, but personally, you know, myself, there's always going to be teething errors, isn't there? And I, I, and I think that once, once it's been in place for a season, um, and hopefully it gets implemented further down the league as well, because I think it's unfair then to have players from League One or Championship expected to make the step up to yeah, Premier League football yeah. and not being put in the same yeah. environment where it's almost not a different game but a different style of play is being is being played out in those games yeah. you're going to need that throughout the pyramid to enable those players to make the step up the, the, the other thing as well which uh, this is going to sound a bit nerdy this but hey as football fans we, we love the nerdy stuff oh, I love it I'm a self-invest nerd mate so yeah go for it but, but I wonder how from a, if, if, you, if you think from a referee's viewpoint he sees the game played in real time at real speed yep and his decision his sort of decision making process is based on on that and the aggression or lack of aggression or intent or lack of intent then you compare that with four, five, six people watching it on a video screen, back in slow motion. How does the, the how does the mind, like in terms of making the decision or viewing that action that, that's happened on the pitch, how does it differ? I yeah. don't know. In the past, you could see before VR, which is similar. It was the referee's decision. You don't argue the referee because you never overturn the referee's decision. That was it. And then you talk about it in the club. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think in a way. Perhaps it's used previously in World Cups, and we saw it in the Women's World Cup, and we saw it in, in, in sort of the World Cup as well. Is that perhaps that's almost hindered VAR in the sense that people have expectations or unrealistic expectations of how it's going to be used. Um, but certainly something I think will be improved on and, and will improve the game um, as long as it doesn't analyse everything to the nth degree and, and go too granular I think it's still going to allow us to have these conversations over a beer afterwards and, and discuss you know these talking points and contentious decisions if it, as long as it doesn't take that away completely I'm all for it yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, I think that's a that's a decent place to leave the pod. Do you think? I've enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been good track. Yeah. Well, you never know. We might have a few more beers and jump back on. If not, uh, <laughs> well, I know we're, we're joined by. Um, we might be joined later by uh, another friend of the pod, David Hill, the team. Oh yes. I, I know he's a very busy man. He might be very. I know he's on. He's on duty tonight, so it might, it, yeah, it might be it might be a bit hard to get him uh, on the pod. But um, we'll try our best. And if not. We've had uh, one, one of the best guests we've had, uh, Mr. Lee Usher here. So, uh, Lee. Thank you very much. You enjoy that. Absolute pleasure to have you in. Thank you very much for being part of the Six Pointer Podcast. Cheers. Cheers, mate. The Six Pointer Podcast.